Soup Sunday rhythm, which is our come to the table. And what we've been doing, those who may not have been here before, is these sort of come to the tables have come from a place of, you know, for each of us, we, um, whether this morning is the first time or the first time in a long time or or just so regular that you can't even remember, you know, like we've done it so often, it's kind of gone, you almost go into autopilot and in coming to the table and sharing of communion. The idea was that we, um, each of us come to the table consciously or unconsciously with that journey of being a follower of Jesus with all of those mountaintop moments, the things that we're super excited about and, and also the really um, the difficult times as well. And the, the great understanding is that all of them have um, incredible meaning and are all incredibly value, uh, valuable in the journey that we have to in this following of Jesus. And, and none of us, none of us are good enough in our own ability to get to that table. I hope you, this not, might be a shock, but you know, like none of us are good enough. Um, and, and none of us are so bad that we, um, we don't have a place at that table. And so the idea was that in this time we, um, we hear from one another's stories about one another's stories and journeys. And so this morning we have Colin and Nikki. So if you guys want to come on up, give them a big round of applause. Um, Colin and Nikki have been, I was just sort of thinking about it, um, you know, these guys have been part of Maharangi Vineyard as long as we have, and particularly um, very early on, Nikki was kind of the first, I think you used to handle all the bookkeeping and, and accounts and stuff, and something you may or may not know about Maharangi Vineyard is back in the day, I, I think like if there was a competition on the worst giving culture of any community whatsoever, we would have been gold medalist and probably silver as well. And so, and I only say that not, not out of anything other than just Nikki particularly in that time, Nikki used to be the one who'd get up at two in the morning to see um, whether or not we're going to be able to get paid that day for us, not them, but um, or 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 transfer money to see if we could actually pay the um, the lease or the the or the thing, and 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 just just incredible, incredible. Thankfully, it's not like that anymore. But um, but I just wanted to honor these guys because they're they're kind of that's the stuff that no one ever sees and knows, and they're incredible diligent. I haven't robbed you of a blessing or anything like that. Your, your eternal mansion has just got a little bit smaller because I've just learned... No, terrible theology, by the way. Don't, I'm not, I don't even believe it. Um, but, but these just guys... It, it just reminded me, for, for me, they have meant so much. And often it's the, the unseen, it's the behind the scenes. Colin's been on our um, trust board for such a long time and it's just incredibly... Um, just so we, we value these guys heaps. So we're in for... An incredible treat. I think you've got your mics there. Yeah, you do have to pick it up. You know, it'd be hard to keep Colin quiet, so, you know, we'll have to really watch. I think that's... Yeah, that's going. Yeah. So, um, so like, we just want to... Actually, I'll pray first. So, Father, I thank you so much for, um, for the life journey that's represented in these two incredible people right now. God, I thank you for all... Of the all of the journey that you've done with them, God, and, and how all of it, all of it, has an eternal redemptive value. And so, God, this morning as they share, I pray that you would 
you and as they give of themselves and, and make themselves vulnerable, God, I just pray that you would meet them in that vulnerability, meet them in that honesty. And would you, would you bless them? Would you bless us in their sharing of the story? But, but would you bless them? I pray particularly that you would grant them the desires of their hearts, the things they long for and dream for and hope for. God, would you, would you meet them in those places? And this morning as they share, God, um, in your incredible kingdom economy, would they not leave this morning feeling lesser or having been, giving, having been given out so much, God, they wouldn't leave feeling depleted, but God, you would fill them, fill them to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. All right. So we just start with a little bit of an icebreaker. What's, um, what's something that may surprise us all to know about yourselves? Well, for those who know me, this will surprise you. <clears throat> I started a food fight in a the top silver service restaurant in Edinburgh in 1992. Wow, and nearly done. Got, <laughs> and nearly got our graduation class kicked out. Oh, <laughs> that is super surprising. I'm not usually that mischievous person, and I'm usually way more disciplined if I'm a bit upset about something. Nice. <laughs> I feel like if we have time, I'd like to circle back to the, um, <laughs> that story. So we'll, we'll just see how we go for time. Great story. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we were in Scotland in the 90s. Um, and um, I wired the workshop um, that was set up to test the navigation system of the new European jet fighter that they were that actually never got produced. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably says a lot about Europe, but um, yeah, so great, great fun, great experience, all sorts of fun gadgets and things. But. Very good. All right. Well, we'll get into it. Like, um, you know, most of you have been around, heard these before, but we sort of, what, what, we not try, what I tend to do is sort of give out some really big open, open-ended questions just to kind of get these guys thinking. Um, and this morning, I think more than others, I'd like to just actually be quiet and let you guys run, run with it. Um, yeah, we'll have to it's keep really Colin in check. Move. We'll have to keep Colin in check. Just Colin yeah. I'll just run <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about or we've sort of been hearing from, from previous ones is that fact that in faith, um, it, it's such an important concept to think of as a journey. And with like any journey, um, things change. Um, what we need changes. And so like, I'd love to ask you both, like having been followers of Jesus for how, how long? Um, oh, over 40 years. Yep. Yeah. I met Jesus, actually had an amazing encounter with Jesus when I was eight years old. And that was before my parents were following the Lord. And then my father became a Christian when I was 11 and my mum recommitted her life. So I actually see myself as a first generation Christian because I had basically 11 years of a very non-Christian family. And then when Jesus found, sought, and, sought after and and um, reached my father, my entire life and family was transformed like night to day. Yeah. Nice. Um, just under 40 years. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, so over 40 years, how have you, um, you know, what can you share with us about how that, how that faith journey has changed and, and really what are some of those, the catalysts that, that sort of prompt those sorts of changes? 
Well, when I first read Lyndon's questions that came to, on the email, my first response was, and I, he, I told him, and he said, you've got to say that. <laughs> As my first response was, my 20-year-old self would look at me now and think I was completely backslidden. And um, the reason Which has that for a hook. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the reason I say that is that in the last 30 odd years, I've learned so much about God's grace. I didn't understand God's grace. It was all about doing the right thing. I had to, you know, do keep doing the right things all the time to be in right standing with God. And I did do all the right things. You know, we just were so diligent about that. Um, however, the basis of my faith has not changed, that God loves me. Jesus is my saviour. And he came that I might have life. And I believed then and I believe now that God has a plan for my life. And all I need to do is put one foot in front of the other and be obedient every day in all the little things. So. Mm. Um, I became a Christian when I was uh, 15. Um, again, from a non-Christian home. And looking back now, there's... There's all sorts of rules about being a Christian. You know what you can do, what you can't do, um, what you shouldn't do. Um, I'll try and find my notes. Um, what you should be like. You know how you should be a good husband. How you should be a good father. Lots and lots of different rules. And Rules are great because they keep you safe. You can do this and you can do this and you can tick the box. You know, it's all good. Um, Galatians 3, 23 and 24 says, Until Christ came, we were guarded by the law, kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could believe in the coming Saviour. Let me put it another way. The Jewish laws were our teacher and guide until Christ came to give us right standing with God through our faith. And the laws we wrap around ourselves and our families, we do that to keep ourselves safe. But our rules are inadequate. Um... And especially as I got married and then I started having kids, um, the rules were, in were inadequate. Um, the rules can't give me right standing with God. I know that. I was saved by faith. I know that. The rules can't show grace the rules can't build relationships um, and I found that there's way too many situations where in my life where there wasn't a rule <laughs> I, I couldn't tick the box I couldn't um, so for, for me the process of of becoming a Christian um, has been moving from following the rules 
following the rules so that I have right standing with God and that they keep me safe, to receiving God's grace to have right standing with God, which means I can extend that grace to my family and so that my relationships with my family are based on God's grace and not on my rules and what I think a Christian should look like or what I think my kids should be like. Carry on. Yeah. Um, so I guess in preparing for today, um, the thing that we talked about a lot was the thing that we thought we should share about as parenting, and because parenting has actually been our greatest faith challenge, as it possibly is for many of you right here today. But it's actually a bit to d taboo to talk about parenting in this kind of forum, because if we talk about parenting, it exposes our children. And um, so... Over the last couple of weeks, we just felt that that was what God wanted us to do. So we've actually spoken to each of our boys. We have three boys. They're all in their 20s now, and they're amazing kids, and we're so proud of them and all of the th who they are becoming. But we spoke to them all, and they've all given their consent. And actually, the one whose story I'm going to tell a little bit about actually said, you've got our, my full blessing to say whatever you like. And we haven't actually told him what we are telling. <laughs> <laughs> but what that means is that we have a relationship with him that he trusts us to honour him in the telling, you know. Mm. Because we aren't the only parents here who has kids that have done stuff you rather they didn't do. And, um, and God loves my boys and he's in relentless pursuit as Lyndon's words, that Father Hardy's in relentless pursuit of him, of them, and the story's not finished. It's mm. not finished in my life. It's not finished in their life. So everything we say, I could have those three boys sitting right there, and I wouldn't change what we say. So please take that into your heart, and don't go, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That also might be a warning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I guess just going back to my 20-year-old self, we got married when I was 20, and uh, my 20-year-old self would have 100% expected that I would have raised completely 100% godly children. No, no doubt about it. There was just no negotiation on that. That's what was going to happen. Um, but it's really not quite that simple, is it? Um, parenting is really hard, and they don't always do exactly what they want, uh, what we want them to do. <clears throat> Most of my faith challenges in the past 20 years or so has usually involved one of them, and my own journey with mental health and well-being, and um, one of them, as in one of the three of them at <laughs> a different time, not just one of them. Um, and I would find myself in a tug of war between anxiety and faith. Um, and God was so faithful to me in those years, though, he would just keep coming back to me and saying, Nikki, trust me. And I had to learn that God loved them more than I could ever love them. So why would I not trust him? You know, can you just hold that? Um, 
Um, sorry, Do you want me to hold it? Yeah, okay. I'm just going to turn my page. I think I can just keep talking. But um, I brought this along because um, <coughs> the story I want to share is a bit raw, but it's also very redemptive. And... Um, before I talk about the hand, I just want to say that in talking about mental health or illness, I realise it can be a trigger for some. So I just, if it's a trigger for you today, the story I'm going to tell, please don't leave here without talking to somebody. Mm. And even if that is just you can't talk, but you need to just put your hand on the knee of the person or the arm of the person beside you, if you're the person that has a hand on your arm, the person beside you needs somebody to talk to, and please listen before you leave today. Yeah. So this hand, the boy whose hand this is um, belongs to, is quite a risk taker. And many times I was unsure that he would even make it to adulthood. And one day when he was 16, I sat on my bed on after church on a Sunday afternoon and cried for about three hours and planned his funeral because I just thought, oh, it's going to happen, so I might as well plan it. And um, then that's that sorted. So I literally did that. And not long after that, he went to a friend's house. And um, I think there was a girl involved because it's kind of girly, right? <laughs> they made plaster of Paris hands. And he was a diver and he made this sign, which is divers, you know, make this sign under the water to tell their buddy that all is well. And... Um, he brought it home and he gave it to me and he says, Mum, I've made you something. And this hand was so special. You want you right holding on? Yeah, I'll put it down. And over the next um, few years, and even now, I look at it on the bookcase and it's a God thing for me. God and I go, God's just reminded me, all is well. It's under control. I'm with him. You know, he's all right. Yeah. Shall I just keep telling the story? Yeah. Okay. So the story I want to tell involves a 20th birthday party and it was a pig on the spit and barbecue in the afternoon at home with lots of family and friends and a few drinks being shared as is normal Kiwi barbecue. And that's fine. As the evening went along, lots of people were leaving and there was just the core group who were probably going to crash on mattresses because I wouldn't let them drive anyway. The core group of people and they all headed out to this bar pool and um, a bottle of rum appeared and unbeknown to us, the person who brought the bottle of rum for the gift to the birthday boy um, dared him to drink it all himself, by himself, which he proceeded to do over the next one to two hours, about a litre of rum. It didn't end well. Um, we were inside and didn't know that this had happened until we had a basically semi-conscious vomiting boy on the deck that we then had to deal with. and. So we put him on the, there was about six of us in the bathroom, we got a big open shower, we stuck him on a plastic chair in the shower and he vomited away and we held his shoulders and we held his airway and we were just keeping him alive and my nurse hat on, I was watching his vital signs and he was getting colder and colder and his pulse was about 40 and his respirations were about 10 a minute and I was like this close of calling an ambulance. Um, but we just kept going because he seemed to turn a corner and the vomiting subsided. And one of his friends who was sitting on the side of the bath, who had also been drinking, not the rum, but obviously maybe a bit too much, something else, who had come from a Christian home, he was just like, I was praying. I mean, I was just so focused on keeping his airway and just trying to decide, do I need to call an ambulance because this is really serious? 
and he just came over and he put his hand on my, my arm, on my shoulder, and he says, Nikki, we need to pray for him. And I'm like, <laughs> I, was, I was praying in tongues and in my breath. We were all praying. But to have this boy who at that point in his life wasn't following the Lord come and put his hand on my shoulder and say, Nikki, we haven't prayed yet. We need to pray for him. So he prayed for him and I prayed for him. And the vomiting subsided. And we got to a point where he was, we were able to lie him down because he'd stopped vomiting. But he was covered in vomit. And so I got in front of him in the shower and I just started washing the vomit off his legs. And I had this most incredible experience, probably the most physical experience of God's presence in that destitute moment where my son was so in such a terrible place of distress. And as I put my hands on to wash his legs and his feet, I just felt like a little glimpse. God was saying, this is how I felt when I washed my disciples' feet. Jesus washed the feet of disciples who were actually wanting to follow God, but were a bit, you know, rough around the edges. And Jesus was just like, I just want to wash your feet, you know. And as the, as the water from the shower just uh, washed his legs and he was still unconscious, we were propping him up still, I um, just felt like God's love channeled from heaven into my son through the, my hands and through the water. I just had this incredible sense that God's unconditional love was greater than what had just happened, which, by the way, was a once-off, fortunately. Um, and, um, yeah, I've just never had a physical feeling of God's unconditional love before. And it washed away the sin, and it washed away the judgment, and it washed away my anger if I was going to go there, and I didn't. So we cleaned him up and we laid him on a mattress on the floor and the tile floor just in case he started vomiting again. And I sat beside him for another couple of hours and monitored his vital signs. And once he'd warmed up and his pulse and respirations had come up, I allowed myself to sleep on the floor beside him. Someone say anything? Should I keep going? <laughs> the reason I tell this story is just to highlight the importance of unconditional love and keeping relationships intact. Because a couple of months after this experience, we had a distressing phone call from him in the evening. And he'd been hunting that day with a friend. And he'd found himself on the top of a hill with his gun. And he made the decision to take his life. And the only thing that stopped him from going through with it was that he had the insight to know that his friend who was hunting with him would find his body. And that stopped him. And he decided not to. And he got down off that hill and then he decided to phone us because he knew that we loved him unconditionally, that we wouldn't judge him, that we had a relationship with him that would sustain whatever was going on in his heart right now and that he could trust us to help him find help for that in that moment. He lived over four hours drive away, and it was about eight or nine o'clock at night, so we couldn't get to him, and um, we kept him on the phone for two or three hours. We took turns talking to him and praying with him, and the other person who wasn't talking to him was on another phone ringing everybody we could think of <laughs> to pray for our boy, and um, we finally got to a point where we felt that he was okay, and he promised to go to the doctor the next morning, which he did, and he got some help. The intact relationship was so important in that moment and has continued to be. 
He's doing really well now and he's very open about talking about mental health issues and that's why he would be completely fine if he was sitting here while I'm telling you the story. None of us are immune from the mental health continuum. We talk about mental health and we think of depression and anxiety, but mental health is well-being. Mm. Mental illness is depression and anxiety, and we all dip into that continuum all of our lives. I've been there and I constantly have to battle that tug of war of anxiety and faith. Looking back on our son's teenage years, he'd probably been suffering from depression from a long, for a long time but it probably manifested as anger and we just managed him. We didn't realize that he was actually suffering. Um, he's married now and his beautiful wife, Courtney, has taught me a lot of things. Um, we're just so grateful to God for bringing this beautiful woman into his life. And one day he was heading off on one of his risky things that he does and has these adventures when they had just had a baby. And I was worried for her. I'm like, how are you feeling? You've got this little baby and he's going off doing this. And she said, Nikki, you know what? He's always come home. And you know what? You are so good at worrying about him that I'm going <laughs> to leave that job to you. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I think that's the best backhanded compliment I've ever heard in my entire life. I love it. <laughs> What's my cue? <laughs> and just carry on, yeah. Um, for us, I, our, uh, we've probably done life a little differently to um, a lot of couples. Um, we had this wonderful opportunity uh, where our business failed <laughs> and, um, and my wife went back to work full time and I started building a house, and we had three boys, so I ran around doing boy stuff. Um, and the wonderful thing about it was that I got to spend lots and lots of time with my boys doing stuff that they wanted to do. So they wanted to play hockey, so oh, we'll run hockey. Can't be that hard, <laughs> you know. Um, one wanted to go sailing. It's fine, well, we'll run sailing. Ended up running the sailing program at the college for four years. Um, they wanted to play underwater hockey. Who wants to play underwater hockey? <laughs> what is underwater hockey? Um, and so... I was able to get involved and be a part of what they wanted to do as opposed to them tagging along with the different things that I was doing. Um, and we found that, found that really, really important in building relationships with them. And um, a couple of years ago, I had the fantastic experience of going down tramping with my oldest son in the Southern Alps in the middle of winter time. And him and his mates hunting tar. Um, and I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> um, and one day, Matthew and I go for a, a walk, tramp, whatever, up to a glacier, because, like, we're in the middle of snow tree 
There's no two nights. They're not nine nights, no two of them. Um, the lake just up from us was completely frozen over by the time we left. One day we we tramped up to a glacier, and you know it used to be when he was this sort of high that we'd go places and we'd I'd look after him and you know make sure he he was okay and stuff like that. You know, literally he went up the hill and he'd make the footprints um, of where we were gonna where we were gonna go. And and all I had to do was put my feet in his footprints and follow my son. And it was literally my son who was keeping me safe. You know? And just just a fantastic experience. Um same trip we were talking well him and his mate were talking about various things and got on to um, being a husband. He was married and he goes, I know what a good husband looks like because I've got a good role model. Mm. And I'm going, something must have got through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, microphone. Where is my faith journey now? Um, Christina, thank you for the songs today. We, uh, you probably saw us laughing at the beginning of worship and like, why are they laughing? Um, the song, I'll come to that. So in 2019, I'm a midwife. For those of you who don't know, I'm a midwife. So when I went back to full, full-time work, it was full-time work as a midwife. So I've been working as a midwife in the area for over 20 years <clears throat> and in 2000, our beautiful Walk With Birthing Centre was um, founded and opened. And I was just an access holder at that point, just coming in and out to look after my women when they birthed. And um, But in 2019, uh, well, 2018, I was given the opportunity to buy the business because the founding midwives had, um, were retiring. Um, it's a private business with a contract with the Ministry of Health. And in 2019, we were working towards doing that with a group of shareholders. Um, it was a huge opportunity and one that I knew God had actually called me to from 2000. I was there at the opening ceremony and God dropped it into my heart that maybe one day I would be um, you know, leading this place. The Sunday before Christmas in 2019, we were at church and we knew that we were going to be going unconditional on the purchase a few days later, but it wasn't public at that stage. And we had our time of quiet after worship um, and I felt God gave me this picture of a mountain. And during the worship, we'd been singing the song that Christina brought us today, which was Mover of Mountains, Breaker of Chains, in the worship. And while we had the quiet time, I was telling God that the purchase of the birthing centre just seemed like Mount Everest to me. It was just like, what, what am I doing, you know? And I felt God say that he would not move the mountain because he wanted me to put my hiking boots on and climb the mountain. And that he wanted, he had views from the top that he wanted to show me and he had things he wanted to provide and um, show me on the journey of climbing that mountain. I reflected on it a lot in the last 18 months and uh, if you read Matthew 17, 20 where, he, um, where Jesus says this, Jesus had just healed a boy who had come to him with a demon who was sick and suffering and the boy had been brought to the disciples and they couldn't heal him 
And afterwards, in private, the disciples asked, why not? And Jesus said, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, um, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done, it will move, nothing will be impossible for you. But when you read it, it feels like Jesus is a little bit frustrated and almost like the comment was a bit flippant, you stupid disciples, if you just realised you had enough faith, you could just move that mountain from there to here to there. Jesus never moved a mountain. Yet we have so much theology around, and I'm not putting down the song, I love the song, but yes, we could, we could move a mountain if we have enough faith um, because nothing is impossible for God. But Jesus never moved a mountain. And there's many, many times in the Bible that talks about God taking people on journeys up mountains. And that's where that journey is where we find the provision of God. And I've been reading recently from Genesis 22. <coughs> and um, this is about Abraham where God said to him to take his son Isaac and take him up the mountain and make, you know, use Isaac as the burnt offering to make a sacrifice and worship. I encourage you to read it because it's an amazing passage. Um, I'll just uh, I'll just read it. So God had said to Abraham, Take your son Isaac, whom you love, to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. Early the next morning, so without even skipping a beat or arguing with God or overthinking it or planning too much, early the next morning Abraham obeyed and went with two servants and Isaac and set out missed out a bit but on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance he told his servants to stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and this is the amazing sentence he said we will worship and then we will come back to you hmm. so Abraham had so much faith that he was taking his son over there to sacrifice him but he knew that Isaac was coming back again so he either knew that God was going to provide or he believed that God would raise him from the dead. But Isaac was coming back. Mm. That is just faith on another level, right? I encourage you to read the chapter. It's amazing. Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham told him that God would provide. When they reached the place, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay the son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do nothing to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Mm. And what I feel God's been saying to me is that God doesn't provide for us at the bottom of our mountains. He provide, provides for us on our journey up the mountain. We have to start walking. That's what faith is, is that whatever is in front of you, you start walking. And then on the journey, God provides for you. And... Um, he doesn't provide before the journey. And with the birthing centre, we had some um, friends visit us recently who we hadn't seen for about five years, and they actually didn't know we'd bought the birthing centre and we were telling them a story. 
and um, <laughs> when they left, they're amazing Christian people, and they're pastoring a, a, a church. And my fr- my friend said to me, "Why?" <laughs> and I actually couldn't give her an answer. I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> and I've been reflecting on it in the last few weeks, and the answer is because God said. Mm. I knew without a doubt that that's what God had called me to. Is there another reason that's, is it necessary to have another reason? <laughs> Except that God said, I think that's me. Great. Wonderful. I think we'll probably just, you know, I've kind of said I'd love, what, what is it? I mean, you probably already sort of said it in a way, but, but can you guys just, just in the last, in our last sort of few moments, what is it that keeps you coming back to the table? back to communion, back to um, relationship again. God loves me. And that's, he accepts me unconditionally. It doesn't matter what I do, where I've been, how I've stuffed up, how I've failed my kids, what my kids are doing. God just loves me, um, and yeah, it just keeps me coming back. Um, for me, it's the story, the experiences. I've had so many experiences since I was eight years old of God's faithfulness, and um, it just builds like layers and if I kind of was to step back, I'd be going, no, I want more. I want I want more. I want to come back because I want more of that. Mm. And um, the other thing is I've taken on this leadership role um, lately, and it is a Mount Everest. It's huge. <laughs> um, I've realized that I'm not enough. And if you read leadership books, they're all telling you you are enough. And you have to look in the mirror and say, I'm enough and do this and do that and the other thing. But I'm, I don't want to be that leader because actually I want to be that authentic leader who isn't enough on my own. Mm. And um, I, I'm only enough because I can come to that table and I can take God's faithfulness into everything I do. Wonderful. I told you it was going to be good, eh? Yeah. Wonderful. Why don't we, why don't we stand... Um, I really felt like sort of in this morning when we were sort of praying together, um, what I'd love to do is, um, you know, we've just got a few minutes. We're going to do communion. So logistically what's going to happen is we'll um, just after this, all go over, take your, um, grab a chair, go over, sit around the tables. Um, and then communion really is just going to happen um, just as it has done for centuries before, actually it's just part of a meal. And I invite you just to, to when you find around your tables, there's going to be bread out there and, and, we'll, and you just pour your cups and, and just share in the communion as part of the meal. But before we do that, I really, really felt like um, there's an opportunity to respond to what these guys have said, probably even, not, even sort of the things they haven't said. The, that idea, not even the idea, the, <coughs> the belief that God and the understanding that God can be trusted, 
And if there are, I really felt like there are some things, um, and it feels like it's old things, like things that you've had for a long time, whether it's old hurts, old wounds, you know, just the, the bangs and bruises that happen in life, whether it's life as a follower of Jesus or, you know, with one another or, or just life as in just being a human being in a broken, fallen world. I feel like this morning I'd love, I feel like the Holy Spirit's here and would really um, just love to meet you in those places. So there's that, but there's also the other side of it is really old dreams, like really old hopes. Um, like Nikki said, it was how many years at that, at that opening of that birthing center? When, when, how long ago was that? In 2000. So 20 years ago, you know, and sometimes we hold on to those things. Sometimes the timing goes and you just think, oh, that was just me. I had too much cheese the night before. That wasn't God um, or, or whatever, you know. Like, um, and I really just feel like he wants to just meet you in those, in those old dreams as well. And, and I'd really love, um, you couldn't get two better people just to stand with you and, and bless you in those things. So if, if either one of those things, or, or even like what Nikki said about the um, mental health and wellness and that sort of journey, can you just come forward? And, and these guys are going to play a song, so no one's going to hear what it is you want. And, and these guys, myself, um, you know, would just really love to, to pray with you. So just come forward now if that's for you, any one of those things.